You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 29 of the Crisis in the Church series. Today, we're very pleased to welcome Don Mauro Tranquilo to discuss one of the least well-known, but arguably most vital of the errors to come from the Second Vatican Council, collegiality. Collegiality, as Father will discuss, is not just about democratizing the church, but it would completely upend the doctrine of the church regarding bishops, and by it, do great danger to both the episcopacy and the papacy. A quick note, Father is a native Italian, and his English is quite good. But if you are one of those people who has trouble with accents, we have a transcript available. Just click on the captions button if you're watching this on YouTube, or you can download the transcript at sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. And if you'd like to learn more about the series we're doing on the crisis in the church or see all of our previous 28 episodes, you can go to the same address for more information. Now, let's turn to our conversation with Don Tranquilo. Well, welcome back to the SSPX podcast, and we are very happy to welcome for the first time to this podcast and to the crisis series, uh, Father Tranquilo, Don Tranquilo. Hello, Father. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. Fine, thank you. You as well. You as well. And uh, it is, it's a pleasure to have you. And for those people who may not know who you are, uh, this is the first time we have met as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, Father? Yes, sure. I'm just a usual priest of the society in Italy. Uh, been a priest since 2002. And um, I'm now at the Priory in Montalenghe, so in the northern part of Italy, where I am from, more or less. Uh, I'm from Milan, actually. Uh, Montalenghe is near Turin, and we have our apostolate here, uh, as everywhere else, so chapels and masses and everything, uh, here in Turin and in Milan, too. Um, I have been a long time in uh, Rimini before and then in Rome and a couple of years also in Scotland. So that's why I have uh, some knowledge of uh, the English language. Well, it's great. And your your English is spectacular. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Um, Father Franks wanted me to talk with you, Father, um, specifically about three topics, uh, the first of which we are talking about today. Um, mm-hmm. But all three of the topics that we'll be visiting with you about have to do with the papacy, and that yes. is something that you have been interested in and studied. Um, is that correct? Yes, all the aspects of papacy actually uh, interest me since my childhood, maybe, yes. Uh, so we will talk about collegiality, which is very much related to the power of papacy, uh, so the vacantism, obviously, and uh, the abdication of Pope Benedict and all the issues connected with it. So all these three questions are actually very much um, connected between them. And uh, we will all the concepts we will talking about today will be useful also for the other topics. Yes. Very good. So let's get started then with collegiality, Father. Uh, this is something I, I said this in the... Uh, previewing this in our last episode, um, I said collegiality is not something that most Catholics think about on a day-to-day basis. We, uh, p- traditional Catholics think of modernism, liberalism, yes. you know, these things, uh, ecumenism that we've just finished studying, uh, and religious liberty. Collegiality, yeah, we know mm. it's bad, but it has to do with bishops and the Pope, and that's over in Rome, and we don't really care. So why yeah. should we care about collegiality? Or before we start with that, what is what do we mean when we say collegiality, Father? Yeah, you you touched a good point because um, modernism, obviously, you have seen that also in this series. It's a kind of uh, 
uh, error that touches all the body of the Catholic doctrine, or all the concept of religion itself. And so every dogma can be said in the same way as it used to be, but meaning something else. But sometimes modernism goes to touch and change some of the dogs themselves, not just their uh, meaning, but even the, the literal words of, of them. We have seen that for religious freedom or now nowadays for uh, uh, the communion to the sinners, if you like, on Amoris Laetitia. Uh, this, this, they go to touch some precise points sometimes. But in general, all those dogmas are of another sense. Collegiality is one of the, maybe the first time they went to touch something precisely. They wanted to change during the council something very specific, not just general sense of the religion, but something very specific. And they wanted absolutely to do that. During the council, the main um, disputes were about collegiality, not about, for example, religious freedom, which could seem, or ecumenism, they could seem uh, more important, or more um, grave issues than collegiality, but the, the bishops during the council had, had um, very much to say about collegiality. This was seen as something that was going to change Catholic doctrine by uh, the revolutionaries and also by conservative bishops. They all understood that this was a real um, problem, something that was to change, uh, something that was already determined by the church, by the popes and so on. And even when the society had talks with Rome uh, a few years ago, um, this was a point they couldn't get out of the situation. Um, sometimes we had to talk with very conservative theologians, not revolutionary ones. Obviously, the Vatican was very correct, so they want, they sent to us very conservative theologians that tried to explain that you can put together uh, Pius the Ninth and um, religious liberty of um, dignitatis humanae. But about that, about collegiality, there was no way to uh, understand, no way to come to uh, some agreement or some uh, explanation even. It was impossible because you can see, and we will see, that they touch precisely the doctrine of the Church already defined by the popes. So this is very important because it's a question of faith. Sometimes we talk about collegiality like some, oh yes, they put democracy in the Church, so everybody right. had to say something, and so there is the synod of bishops, and this is revolutionary, and so on. This is true. This is something of a consequence of collegiality. But collegiality itself is an error, or we could say also in heresy, we will see, against the doctrine of the Church. Then it has effects, obviously, uh, on daily life of the Church sometimes, on um, how things go with modernism or conferences of bishops and the Pope and the Vatican and so on. Yes, this happens, but mainly and firstly, it is a, an error in faith. Hmm. That's what we are going to see. So collegiality, as we understand it, and it has been uh, promulgated or, or set forth by Vatican II, collegiality has to do with the governance and the role of the bishops 
in the church. Is that yeah. in a broad sense, that's, that's what collegiality is all about. It's about yeah. the bishops in the church. So before we dig into that real quickly, Father, could we talk about, well, who bishops are? We, we know that bishops, they give holy yeah. orders and, and so forth, but they are, bishops are the ecclesiastical authorities. They, they have the fullness of the priesthood. Yeah. And so priests get their powers and their jurisdiction from the bishops themselves. Is that correct? So, yes, in the sense that we can understand the, the word bishop in two senses, actually. They sometimes go together and sometimes not. This is very important to understand for Catholic doctrine, because this has been very much clearly defined by the Church, and then this is one of the, we can say, two errors of uh, Lumen Gentium. Lumen Gentium is the document of Vatican II where collegiality is um, uh, treated. Now, uh, bishops, firstly, are people, priests, who are ordained by other bishops to give the, to, to the fullness of the power of the priesthood, the power of orders, the power of holy orders. In that sense, all bishops, consecrated or ordained, doesn't matter, have the same powers. Powers related to sanctification of the souls. It is a sacrament giving a power of sanctifying the um, first uh, um, higher uh, part of the sacrament of order, if you like. Council of Trent says that bishops are superior to priests because they can ordain other priests and give confirmation and other things. So, things related to sanctification of the soul. Sacraments. Uh, so, this is the first sense of the word bishops. Bishops are the, are the ones who have the fullness of order, of priesthood. Uh, more than priests. Doesn't matter how, this is theological debate, but they are more than priests in the holy orders. So we can say bishops only talking about ordination, power of sanctification. Bishops of the society, for example, are like that. They received by the Archbishop Lefebvre this ordination, and they can do priestly ordination or even uh, episcopal ordinations or um, give confirmation and so on. They have the fullness of order. But they have not what we are going to say now. There are also bishops within the... They've always been, not only in the society, bishops only consecrated or ordained uh, just for giving um, orders, for example. They, they are called bishops, titular bishops. They have no diocese. Mm. There are also in the today, in the hierarchy of the church, bishops just ordained without a diocese. Mm. Then we can understand bishops... Now, these two things will go often together, but not always. Bishops as the successors of the apostles in the governance of a part of the church, diocese. In this sense, bishops receive power of jurisdiction. So they have power of sanctifying from ordination, and they can have also, also power of governing a diocese, which is of divine right, obviously, an institution of divine right, but this power is not given by the episcopal ordination. It's given by the Pope through an act of will. He gives to them the power of governing, 
governing a diocese usually uh, and teaching these two powers are one actually you teach people you are superior to they are your subjects you teach them you make laws for them you punish them if it's you govern them and so on that's the power of jurisdiction so ordinarily bishops in dioceses have obviously these two powers together sometimes you have bishops having only the the power of orders but what we have to believe and that has been defined by the church is that the two powers sanctifying and governing have not the same origin one one the one of or, uh, sanctifying comes from ordination the other one comes from uh, the pope the pope is so you the can only, ha- yes so you can have a bishop who is not does not have the authority to teach and to govern because exactly. that comes from the pope exactly uh, and that can be taken away or it can be granted but Absolutely. you cannot have a bishop who does not have the power to confer the sacraments to ordain priests confirmations etc not usually yes it would be curious curiosity or some uh, that uh, somebody is given power of jurisdiction on a diocese on a diocese and he has not received episcopal ordination this happened okay. in history actually and this is theoretically ah. quite probably possible but yes this is not important for us now but okay. you know for example you receive jurisdiction before usually before being ordained a bishop usually ah. not, not always but if you are named to a diocese you receive jurisdiction by the pope and then you are ordained quickly but you have to be ordained it's your duty to be ordained otherwise you decay but you have already in theory jurisdiction in theory you mm. could already uh, make uh, acts of jurisdiction the only man who received jurisdiction directly from god from our lord actually who has the fullness of all these powers obviously is the pope himself then he gives jurisdiction to others but he's the only one receiving it directly from our lord we will see that uh, about the vacantism is very important uh, this has been defined we have seen it's important to remind that it's not an opinion it's not our opinion or as a traditional catholics it's what the church teaches has taught for centuries we have uh, dozens of documents about that i will quote something some of them because it's important uh, for example the last not the, the, the most important one maybe is Mystici Corporis the encyclical from Pius, by Pius XII so in 1943 quite recently he told that uh, about bishops in exercising this office they are not altogether independent but they are subordinate to the lawful authority of the Roman pontiff although enjoying the, ordin- the ordinary power of jurisdiction which they receive directly from the same supreme pontiff and in the same years after the war there was the schism of the chinese bishops mm-hmm. they ordained bishops for the patriotic patriotic church still a problem today we have seen uh, recently uh, and Pius the 12th uh, obviously has communicated them for the schism and so on and he had two encyclicals in 1954 and 1958 at Sinarum Gentes and Ad Apostolorum Principis where he says very clearly repeats very clearly these concepts 
says, um, by virtue of the will of God is established the twofold sacred hierarchy, namely of orders and jurisdiction. Two hierarchies, twofold hierarchy. The power of orders comes from receiving the sacrament of holy orders. But the power of jurisdiction, which is conferred upon the supreme, the supreme pontiff directly by divine rights, flows to the bishops by the same right, but only through the successor of St. Peter. And this concept is repeated in uh, Ad Apostolorum Principis. And it says that bishops ordained without the permission and um, the confirmation of the Pope enjoy no powers of teaching or of jurisdiction, since jurisdiction passes to bishops only through the Roman pontiff, as we admonish in the encyclical letter, Mystic Corpus, and so on. So they can receive order sacrilegiously and illicitly, but validly, but not jurisdiction in any way without the Pope. Very important. This teaching is not invented by Pius XII, obviously. Uh, during the Council, there was a bishop, Staffa, then became a cardinal. Uh, during the debate about uh, Lumen Gentium, he published uh, this document I, I have as a copy from the archives of Archbishop Lefebvre. It's a booklet mm. that was given to the fathers, the bishops, uh, during the Vatican II. And here, here he quotes uh, uh, all kinds of authorities from um, doctors of the church, canon lawyers, popes of all time, saying that powers of jurisdiction comes to bishops only uh, through the pope, by the pope. The last one saying that is John the Twenty Third. So, during just before in, in 58, in his, I think, first consistory, he had a speech, uh, probably talking about the Chinese situation again, and he says clearly, uh, from a sacrilegious episcopal consecration without apostolic mandate, so without the papal will, no jurisdiction whatsoever can follow. Archbishop Lefebvre said that very clearly. I give the power of orders to these bishops, but... I have no pretension, I, I do not pretend to give jurisdiction to them. This is only, to, uh, only uh, up to the Pope, not to me. I'm not schismatic. Right. right. That, this would be schism, to pretend yes. to give jurisdiction, as the bishops uh, in China did. So this is the first very important point. And we are going to see how uh, Lumen Gentium says completely the opposite of that. Okay. So Lumen Gentium Vatican II. Could I take a step back before we dig into yeah, this, sure. Father? Lumen Gentium wanted to, to revise the way that, that we see these powers of the bishops. Why? Why would they want to revise this? If you say that the Pope is not the only channel through which uh, power of government comes to the church, comes to earth, if you like, you have destroyed papacy. That's uh -huh. the point. You have, you make, you, we see that you, you make papacy something uh, superfluous, something uh, accessory to the church. You can have church without papacy. That's a very okay. important point. 
they understood. Uh, this was already the theory of some theologians uh, uh, just before the council in particular and these theologians were uh, Rahner and Ratzinger they wrote a book together just about that, about this question and uh, the other one we will see Congar also they were very much uh, working about this question they found or they invented they found um, obviously historical explanation of about that or they say that this was too too much juridical but this power was something sacred coming from the or from all the orders not from some juridical um, structure or so on so they invented many theories but uh, this was already going on just before the council in the 50s and 60s they were working to this thesis, and this book, very important about uh, that, uh, by Rahner and, and Ratzinger together, uh, treats exactly about these questions. It's, uh, it's just about these questions. Episcopat und Primat, it's the title in German. I don't speak German, okay. but... Yes. Right. And, and it's interesting, and a little bit of a side side note here, interesting that the Germans are usually the ones wanting to kind of change this up because we see the Germans doing the same thing today with their synodal path, but whatever. Oh, yes. Well, now they, they are still, um, when you do not believe anymore in the rock of papers, you can do whatever you like then. Uh, but the problem is that the Pope himself doesn't really believe in the, in, uh, in the papacy. Uh, we have yeah. we've seen that. Yes. Uh, not just so, so, Lumen, so Lumen Gentium, what is what does Lumen Gentium do then? How do they redefine the relationship okay. between the bishops and, and the Pope, Father? Yeah. Lumen Gentium says very clearly that jurisdiction, power of government and teaching is given by the sacrament of holy orders, by the episcopal ordination. So okay. which means that you receive it directly from our Lord, because you know that the sacrament is the action of our Lord, obviously. The sacrament is not uh, the action of the Pope or the priest of the Church, but of our Lord through his instruments, which are the ministers. Uh, but is our Lord giving the fullness of episcopacy, if you like. So, power of sanctifying, power of governing and teaching. All together, so you understand that this is problematic because it's exactly the opposite of what, of what we have uh, seen taught by the previous popes. Exactly the opposite. Um, they say that very, very explicitly in Lumen Gentium 21, it is said. Episcopal consecration, together with the office of sanctifying, also confers the office of teaching and of governing, which, however, can be exercised only hierarchical communion with the head and the members of the college. We will say just later about the college. So they say you have it. There are conditions to, uh, for the exercise of this power, but not of possession. You have it as soon as you are ordained a bishop. You have the power of governing. And you know that there is this preliminary note of explanation because there was a lot of dispute about that. So Paul VI wanted this note 
that should have clarified this, the question. But actually, yes, it clarified the question, but in the, in the sense of uh, making clear that you have to understand that this in a bad sense. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he said clarified it in all the wrong ways. <laughs> yes. In his consecration, a person is given an ontological participation in the sacred functions, Munera. This is absolutely clear according to them from tradition. Uh, actually, it's the opposite. And they say uh, the documents of recent pontiffs, for example, Pius XII, regarding the jurisdiction of bishops, we have quoted them, must be interpreted in terms of this determination of powers, not of uh, giving the powers, but just the determination of how to use them. We have read them. It's impossible to understand them in this way. They knew that there was something wrong, and so they invented this solution. Oh, you, you understand them, you understand mystic corporates of the other documents, uh, just for determining how to use jurisdiction. Not to have it. We have we have read. You can listen again to what we said and quoted, and it's impossible to understand in this way. This error went on and on. For example, in 2007, Benedict XVI still says to uh, he was a champion of this problem. Uh, this error. He says in, the, in his letter to Chinese Catholics. He says. Uh, as in the rest of the world, in China too, the church is governed by bishops who, through episcopal ordination conferred upon them by other validly ordained bishops, have received, together with the sanctifying office, the offices of teaching and governing the people entrusted to them in their respective particular churches, with a power that is conferred by God through the grace of the sacrament of holy orders. This is very clear. You see that... Um, hermeneutic of continuity is just in continuity with Lumen Gentium. We say the same thing even in a worse way. So, bishops validly ordained, and we are talking, for example, of, of the Chinese bishops here of the Patriotic Church, because that's a letter to them. All validly ordained bishops receive these three powers together, and they can govern their respective particular churches. So even the determination of how to use jurisdiction that was still reserved to the Pope by Lumen Gentium, now Pope Benedict said that it's given by consecration. The power that is conferred by God through the grace of the sacrament. So what remains of papacy with that? Of the function of the Pope. He does not give the power and it, it, he does not determine how you have to use this power. We will see that even more clearly later. Uh, so papacy is superfluous. It's not the rock. You, not, you do not build the church upon it. Right. It's the contrary of the gospel, if you like, and of the, the doctrine which is uh, uh, defined by the church. So you see, this is very important. This is already a, a first error, the first error, there is another one, very clear, uh, about uh, the relation between episcopacy and papacy. It's the first error, not the only one, unfortunately. Right. 
So, so they're saying, again, just to summarize what we've been talking yeah. about so far, they're saying that the power of jurisdiction and of teaching comes directly from the fact that someone is ordained a bishop, consecrated yeah. a bishop. Uh, it, it does not come directly from the Pope. Maybe this is getting a little bit too in the details, Father, but who would they say a bishop has the jurisdiction over? If if you were ordained a bishop tomorrow, Father, yeah. according to Lumen Gentium, it says, all right, you have the jurisdiction and teaching authority. Over whom? That's a problem because they do not uh, have an answer. Uh, they say in Lumen Gentium, they seem to say that you have the power, but then the authority of the college or the Pope tells you, determine, as we have said, who, how you have to use it to exercise this power, but does not okay. give it to you. Absolutely not. This is denied. It is clear that you do not receive that from the Pope, but from order. Uh, but it's not clear then how we have to use it, uh, how you have you can determine how to use it. It seems in Lumen Gentium that this would be the decision of the Pope, so to determine how, not to give it. But then, if you have read, we have read this quote of Benedict the Sixteenth, the Chinese, to understand, and then he says that. This power given by God uh, through uh, the sacrament of order uh, allows you to teach and govern people entrusted to you in, a in your respective particular church. But how determine that? It's, you don't know how, especially if you are a Chinese patriotic bishop or an Orthodox bishop. We will see later. Uh, this, would, this is also for Orthodox bishops. How can you say I am the patriarch of Constantinople or I don't know what something else, the bishop of Athene or uh, you, you don't know. It's just uh, situations. I don't know. They don't explain that. But Benedict arrives to say that through episcopal ordination to order to holy order, you are you have a people entrusted to you in your respective particular church, which is a mystery, but he says that. So what's mm. what? It's up to the Pope again. Nothing, probably. Then maybe right. it's just a um, human uh, convention. How this works? I don't know. But they don't explain that. In Lumen Gentium, in the um, uh, preliminary note of explanation, it is also said that there is a question: If I am an ordained bishop, illicitly. Huh? My ordinations, my confirmations are certainly valid. Hmm? Sacrilegious, but valid. As if I am an heretical priest, but I am a true priest, I can consecrate, but obviously it's a, it's a sacrilege, but it's valid. Now, in Lumen Gentium, there is the question, but what about jurisdiction? If you are a sacrilegious bishop, an illicitly uh, ordained bishop, you have also jurisdiction. If you do acts of jurisdiction, are these acts invalid or just illicit as the other acts of the orders and they say oh we do not answer to that it is written like that we do not want to answer to that mm. it's written in the preliminary notes so according to what we read in this letter for example of the, to the Chinese Catholics it seems that then they say that it's just valid just valid acts of um, 
a jurisdiction. Probably they didn't want even to bother, to bother too much about this question. <laughs> In practice, they accept all the acts of uh, these bishops outside of the church as through churches as we will see uh, so valid acts of jurisdiction, certainly. In Lumen Gentium it's written that they don't, don't, don't want to answer to that. They don't want to answer. So right. the question is good, but there is, not, there is not a precise answer from the documents. You can understand something, but it's not written, and even they refuse to answer. Oh. So taking a step back again, what... What is the problem with this? That sounds like a very naive question, mm-hmm. Father. <laughs> but uh, but what is what is then this going to do? Because we know that there are going to be consequences with this decision. This decision, this Lumen Gentium, was not made in a vacuum. This wasn't just a theological mm-hmm. idea. What are the consequences then? Because to me as a Catholic, I go, okay, so they've redefined that a bishop has teaching power when he's ordained. Mm-hmm. Okay, but- so what? How would you answer me, Father? The first consequence, if, if you believe that, and you, you say a heresy, so something against the doctrine of the church, this is a quite a, <laughs> a dangerous consequence. Okay, uh, besides being a heretic, Father, sorry. Uh, <laughs> because it is defined, so you, you, you cannot uh, say the, con- the opposite. But okay. then the consequence, we will see, um, with the second error, we will see that even better, is the destruction of papacy the destruction of papacy and the possibility of uh, a kind of ecumenism that we are going to see uh, that give uh, gives existence to church outside the church uh, we will see that in following with with the second error because this is very important the second error is related to the first and it leads to the consequence more directly so we are going to see that okay all right. So, where do we go next, then, Father? We go to uh, the question, which is the second error, the second point of Lumen Gentium about collegiality, and this is collegiality in the very sense of the word. We have seen, the, if you want, the preliminary of this error. The second error is collegiality in the very sense of the word, not just uh, the spirit of collegiality, spirit of democracy, which is something going with, uh, flowing from that, but the very error. The very error is about the subject of the supreme power within the Church. Hmm. We know, as Catholics, that obviously our Lord is the king of the church in the spiritual sense of uh, the world and is the head of the society, which is the church. The church is a society, a perfect society, having all the powers uh, to govern itself and herself. And the head of this society, of this body, is our Lord. Our Lord is, as we know, in heaven, so he has a vicar on earth and he gives to him and we believe and we will see only to him the fullness of the power of government of jurisdiction if you like as we have said uh, up to now so uh, this is the doctrine of the church there is one head on earth obviously Everybody agrees that our Lord is the head of the church, even the Protestants, everybody, this is not a problem, uh, this is not the... But then we have to see if there is a vicar or a subject on earth 
having the same power, the same fullness of power of uh, on the church. As Catholics, and according to Vatican I, we believe that our Lord gives to the Pope and only to him, this is defined in uh, um, Pastor Eternus, the document uh, uh, of Vatican I, we believe that only to him is granted uh, just after the election, at the moment of the election, when he accepts the election, in this very moment, he receives the fullness of the power of jurisdiction directly from our Lord. He's the only one receiving jurisdiction from our Lord directly and the fullness of it together. So, uh, this is what the Church has defined, uh, in particular, in Pastor Eternos. Now, Lumen Gentium says something different. There is no, not just one head in the church. Mm. The problem is that they wanted to rush assure the conservative prelates that everything was fine. Nobody was going to touch the Pope. Mm. So they insisted that the fullness of the powers that, of the Pope was still there. The Pope could uh, govern by himself as before and everything was fine and the conservatives uh, had not to worry about that this is repeated very much in the document but what happened is that they say that there is also also, that's a word also, another subject subjectum quoque of the supreme power within the church and this subject is the college of bishops so they say all the ordained bishops talking to get to, together all together all the ordained bishops they have received this power of government and if you take them all together they are they are a college like a body uh, even if one of them is more important, the Bishop of Rome is more important, obviously, but you can take all together as a college, and as a college, they also receive from our Lord the power above all the Church. So you have two subjects receiving the supreme power from our Lord, which are the Pope alone, which is fine, and the College of Bishops with the Pope under the Pope, but not from the Pope. He is, the, the college received, receives his power from our Lord. We could have said, okay, there is the College of Bishops, we use this word, the Pope gives to it the power of governing the Church with him, but the Pope gives, like in the councils, the Pope take all the bishops together, takes all the bishops together, okay, and does some acts of government or teaching with them, but it's his authority communicated to the body of bishops. This is Catholic, we can accept that, but that's not Lumen Gentium, not at all. Lumen Gentium says, from our Lord to the body of bishops with the Pope, under the Pope, but from our Lord. You know, the, they always say, oh no, the college has the power, cum Petro, at the sub Petro, huh? with Peter and under Peter. 
but they do not say ex Petro, from Peter, and that's the heart of the error. Because then you can um, say all the things you like, but then you have to go against this wall. There are there is one subject or two receiving right, right. Uh, the power directly from our Lord, and they say two. And even in the preliminary note, it is clearly said there is a subjectum quoque. There is also another subject, another subject. Ah. Also, so it is, it, they are also subject of the supreme power. And that's another problem, another error or heresy even, because it is defined that God, our Lord, gives only to Simon Peter the power of governing the church, the supreme power. Vatican I doesn't say gives to Peter, which would be okay to Peter and to some, for somebody else, we, des, we define that afterwards. Vatican I says only to Peter and his successors, successors obviously. So this is ob- absolutely something wrong. So this power of govern, governing, given from episcopal jurisdiction, when you take all the bishops together, becomes the power on the entire church and the supreme power on the entire church beside the power of the Pope beside so there, there are two subjects in concurrency but right. with equal power coming from the same uh, source which is our Lord obviously and this is not acceptable this is not acceptable for a Catholic at all we are in another mistake another error actually another heresy maybe uh, against Vatican I in this case and other definitions obviously this, I, I quote Vatican I as the main um, definition and more important, more authoritative but there are many other obviously uh, interventions by the church and the popes during centuries about this question so we, we resume uh, in, the, in the booklet we have seen you can find a lot of those things uh, a lot of those quotes I, I quote just the main one, which is enough because it's a, a definition, a dogmatic definition, which so for Catholics this is more than enough. But it's not invented in the 1870. Uh, it's a long history. Right. So, so with this new definition of of the power of the the bishops being equal to or being another head of the church, this allows things like bishops conferences and synods and uh, yes. these these de- declarations coming from these groups of, of bishops to have equal weight to what the pope is saying strictly speaking, in a sense mm-hmm. strictly speaking this as it is described in lumen gentium this thing cannot work actually because right. unless you have a perpetual council it's very difficult to determine uh, the actions of this um, college. Very difficult. Synods uh, are uh, some kind of way of uh, spiritually uh, showing this collegiality, but not strictly juridically as it is written down in Lumen Gentium. But they do not care very much about that. It's a spirit and then goes on. And so, actually, yes, you have uh, the possibility for bishops to intervene in, uh, not according with the Holy See and so on, if it's needed. But then, actually, these things are more part of the modernist dialectic. 
But strictly speaking, and even the new code says that in some way, the new code of canon law, these actions of the college, as they are described in Lumen Gentium, are very difficult to have without a council. Very difficult, okay. because how can you have the action of this body of bishops dispersed in the world? Then it's not the, really their problem. They had to put this error as the basis for other things. Uh, so Lumen Gentium is not saying that when the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops gets together, for instance, like they are just about to do or, or just have done, mm-hmm. that their decisions are equal to the Pope. They're not no, saying no, no, that. No. They're not going that far. No, but they, what they are saying is... Okay. No, no, because the College of Bishops is the College of all the bishops, all, all the, the bishops. ordained okay. bishops, even all the ordained. Okay. We will see that that, that is where with this leads. But all the ordained bishops together, not the bishops of a country or another country. No, no. Okay. Bishops' conferences have found their the foundation of their power in this idea, certainly, but. They are not considered as theological subjects. They are juridically constituted by the church to express the spirit of collegiality, but not the letter of it. The letter would see would would be that all the bishops together have this power. All the bishops in the entire world, all ordained bishops. I repeat, and we will see soon what that, what it means. Okay. Uh, it means the consequences are more uh, ecumenical the, the in spirit obviously the chaos of the episcopal conference conferences comes from these ideas huh? yes in spirit but literally the consequences are more in the ecumenical uh, field than in the ecclesiological or um, intra ecclesial one Okay, so how is that, Father? What is what is how does collegiality have an impact on ecumenism? We we have to say something about this expression. You know about in Lumen Gentium, it is said that the Catholic Church, the, sorry, the Church of Christ of our Lord, subsisted in uh, the Catholic Church. You know that we would say that the Church of, of Christ is the Catholic Church, the Roman Church. But they say subsisted in, it subsists in the Catholic Church. So uh, we have to understand why. They have explained that many times. Uh, there are different documents about uh, this expression. Uh, the most important maybe is uh, Dominus Jesus, the document of 2000 uh, uh, by the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith led by Ratzinger and con- with the confirmation of John Paul II. The, these documents are very important to understand what it means. They say that uh, there is obviously one church, which is the Catholic Church. But there are also churches outside of it, sister churches, they say. Uh, How is this possible? Because they say in the same time there is only one church, especially in Dominus Jesus, but this goes back and is founded on Lumen Gentium, it's an explanation of Lumen Gentium. But then you have 
other churches, other subjects, uh, ecclesiological subjects outside of it. So they say that there exists a single Church of Christ which subsists in the Catholic Church, governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. But the churches which, while not existing in perfect communion with the Catholic Church, remain united to her by means of the closest bonds, that is, by apostolical succession and valid Eucharist, so holy orders, are true particular churches, plural. Therefore, the Church of Christ is present and operative also in these churches, even though they lack full communion with the Catholic Church. What does it mean? It means that if you have the power of governing in every single ordained bishop, firstly, you have the Church wherever there is an ordained bishop. For example, in the Orthodox world, we would have said that this is not the Church. These are sects, heresies, schisms because to be part of the church first you need to be Catholic so not to be an heretic not to deny dogs and then you have to receive jurisdiction so the possibility of being part of the one church by the one authority the Pope so when you receive jurisdiction from him you are part of the church you can be part of the church. Ordinary jurisdiction from him, you can be part of the church. Otherwise, you are heretic if you don't, do, not, do not have faith, a profession of faith, or schismatic if you do not have this communion with Rome, or if you like, if you don't receive ordinary jurisdiction from the Pope. Because there is only one communicating jurisdiction to others, the Pope. But if you receive jurisdiction by your your ordination, you are already the church. You have not to expect something or to wait for something from Rome. Rome is accessory. You have already everything you need. It's to be noticed that they never talk about faith. So you can believe whatever. It's not written that you have to be at least to believe the same things as the church. Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, On the contrary, it is written that Yes, they are not in full communion because they do not accept the Catholic doctrine on the, of the primacy mm-hmm. and that many others maybe. But right, right. this doesn't uh, hinder them to be, as we have read, true particular churches. So from the error of uh, uh, the source of jurisdiction, you have the possibility to have church outside of the church because the principle of unity is the Pope. When you destroy that, and you can have the power from ordination, we have so many powers around, so many churches around. As many churches as bishops ordained outside of the Catholic Church. And it doesn't matter if they, what they believe, as we have read, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter, obviously, uh, their relation to Rome. It doesn't matter at all. They are true particular churches because of Lumen Gentium and they can be as it is said in the same document uh, means of salvation for the spirit of Christ has not refrained from using them these churches separated churches 
as means of salvation, which derive their efficacy from the very fullness of grace and truth entrusted to the Catholic Church, and so on. Second point is the problem of this universal power, the subject of the universal power. If the College of Bishops is mm, formed by all ordained bishops, because they all have this power come from God and so on, there are many ordained bishops outside of the Catholic Communion. Mm? So there is not the fullness of this college. The Catholic Church has not the fullness of this second subject of uh, the supreme power. This is written in the same document about subsistitin. The lack of unity among Christians is certainly a wound for the Church. Not in the sense that she is deprived of her unity, because the Catholic Church in, it, in, her, in herself is one, obviously, in herself. But in the sense that it hinders the complete fulfillment of her universality in history, which is beautiful, but it means that the Church <laughs> is not fulfilled without the other the bishops outside. So the Catholic Church, the Church of Christ, is full. But the Catholic Church has not reached this fullness in history. It's a sign of what should be a sign, a sacrament, as they like to say, of the unity of the Church, of the one Church. But it's not the one Church. Now, you see that in this way, you can say that there is the Church outside of... You can say that the Church is one, the Catholic Church is one, but there are Churches outside of it, so the Church is in the same time one and not one. And uh, there are many of Churches. And there is no Church, actually, because the true Church is something that has to be fulfilled. And the last time, maybe, I don't know, uh, in history... The fulfillment is not reached. It's hindered by this wound of lack of unity among Christians. But somebody could say now, okay, this is, I understand, but so how can you say that there is one church and then say that there are many churches, there is not one church, there are many churches? This is, would be contradictory to say that something is at the same time one and not one and this question was asked to Ratzinger in 2000 when they presented this document and Dominus Jesus because somebody understood that there was a problem and you can find the answer of Ratzinger a very official answer actually in a conference press in a press conference uh, in the Osservatore Romano in the, um, for March March the 4th as you say in, in, in the US 2000 uh, and he said yes there is a contradiction so reality is contradictory he said uh, literally because sin is a contradiction this contradiction between subsisted and est so he says it's contradictory to say subsisted in or est 
the Catholic the Church of Christ subsisted in the Catholic Church, or to say, uh, the Church of Christ est the Catholic Church. This contradiction between subsisted and est cannot be ultimately solved on a logical point of view. This. So there is a contradiction between these two sentences, what Pio XII said, the Church is the Catholic the Roman Church, and the Vatican II, Lumen Gentium, subsisted in. There is a contradiction, Ratzinger says, of course, this contradiction between subsisted and est cannot be solved from a logical point of view. But you have not to be too logical, maybe, for this kind of things. Huh? So, in logic, we have in front of a contradiction which cannot be solved. That's why the theologians of the society and the theologians and the conservative theologians of uh, the Vatican could not arrive, join a, an agreement because there is a contradiction. And, but, and they want it to be too logical, maybe. This right. cannot be solved from a logical point of view. And he says, in the paradox of the difference between unicity and concreteness of the church on one side and the existence of an ecclesiastical reality outside of the unique subject, we can see in a mirror the contradiction of human sin, contradiction of division, which is beautiful and poetical, but it doesn't say if the, so the church is one or not. Or the two together, it's, could be, it's impossible for, for, for human people, for human minds uh, created by God uh, and for nature. It's probably possible for some German philosophers, uh, as you have seen in your conferences, but not in reality. <laughs> and they, but they right. say that as if it was absolutely, if it were absolutely normal. I would say, now, the last thing maybe, there was in the same time, that, at that time, this debate about ecumenism and so there was uh, both uh, the revolutionary theology and of um, uh, the theology of uh, liberation and they say oh yeah but ecumenism that there are many churches confederation everybody wants believes and wants to, and and does what they want but they are all bounded together by some kind of charity not juridical relations and Ratzinger said no no this this wrong sure it's wrong uh, you have to be no we say it's wrong because this kind of ecumenism is not a necessity it doesn't come from a wound it doesn't come from something um, uh, an, an, an emergency if we say that uh, the church is lacking something because of this dispersion of the college of bishops if you like this is this explains the uh, emergency, the necessity of the of ecumenism, because we are metaphysically lacking of something. We are not just wanting to be altogether uh, cool, uh, even if we believe things, uh, different things, as important or power. Or, no, there is a necessity of ecumenism because we lack something. The Catholic Church is lacking something. That's the question. That's what he answered in the Osservatorio Romano to both, for, for example. Mm. Uh, ecumenism, if you have read Lumen Gentium, if you have well read Lumen Gentium, is a necessity for the Catholic Church, is not 
to help others is not uh, for is a necessity a metaphysical necessity for the Catholic Church to try to fulfill itself in history try to fulfill this uh, what is just uh, sacramentally and prophetically present but not really the unity of the church That's so I had no idea I had no idea father that, that collegiality would and you you've probably seen my face in the last 10 minutes going <laughs> oh, wow because I, I had no idea collegiality was was basically a tool it was it was a method to say that other religions are equal to or not equal to but are a part of mm-hmm. the church of christ yes, this is these, these building blocks are all starting to to fall into place now in my mind this is fascinating yeah you know they said in 2000 and dominus jesus they talked about churches with episcopacy so wherever, wherever there is episcopacy as we have understood there is church Right. And they said, you know, there was a polemics because they said, but if you're only Baptist, like Protestants, you are not a church, you are an ecclesial community. This was seen as some kind of uh, racism against Protestants. But actually, both, you know, it's easy then to, as we are seeing now, but this would be another conference, to go a step forward and say, oh yes, we have in common... Uh, baptism, this is enough to be church. You can go from episcopacy to baptism because you have destroyed the only thing that makes unity, which is papacy. The very problem of those people is papacy. Papacy must be redefined, possibly cancelled, possibly changed in some prophetical office, but papacy as it is, papacy as it is defined by the church as a juridical and metaphysical necessity to have one church, one society, a monarchy, for them is something absolutely unacceptable. And Lumen Gentium is there to make it possible to have church without papacy. This is very important. We will understand even better than that uh, talking about the vacantism, maybe. But uh, th- because all these subjects are very much related uh, to each other. But th- this is a problem. This is a very question. Uh, papacy. Papacy was hated by everybody in history, by the Lutherans, by the Orthodox, uh, by everybody. Uh, this is the main scandal, the stone of scandal. <laughs> the rock of scandal that's, that's Peter uh, and we are they are now they are now they need some other kind of papacy an ecumenical papacy uh, or we are we are going to see even worse in time uh, to redefine papacy as upon the second state but they had done that in Lumen Gentium they made it superfluous accessory something bomb for better for maybe for better function of the church, but not a necessity to the existence of the church as we know it. And right. that was their point. There is no ecumenism with papacy as it was understood by Catholics. There is no possible ecumenism unless you come back and you submit. <laughs> there is no possibility of other kind of ecumenism. It could be kind or inquisitorial, but you needed to sub- to, to make people submit to that. There was no way to go out of that. Now there is. There, is, there are a lot of paths to go out of the system of papacy. Well, this has been this has been fascinating, Father, to to review with you. Uh, 
thank you so much for for taking the time to go through it with us. Um, but but no, thank you very much. This was um, very enlightening. Thank you. Uh, next time we will see set of, or next time we talk with you, I think we have another episode in between uh, the, the times that we talk, Father. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll be talking about set of accountism and how it yeah. is how it is very much related to this. Um, yeah. But thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And hope thank to you. See you again soon. God bless. Yes, you. absolutely. God bless. Bye. Thank you for listening to and watching episode 29 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast. Coming up next week, we are going to welcome back Father Stephen Reuter to discuss the hermeneutic of continuity, an idea which was popularized by Pope Benedict XVI, which tries to baptize the changes of the Second Vatican Council by interpreting them in the light of the traditional teaching of the Church. Can we do this? Or is there a complete break in doctrine? If you have a question on the topic of the crisis, please feel free to ask it at sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. Please share this episode with someone who you think might enjoy it. And if they don't know what a podcast is, please show them so that they can take advantage of all our episodes. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20 on sspxpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this Crisis in the Church project. Until next week, thank you for listening and God bless you.